Hey, Revolution Church, Pastor Jason here, and we are coming to the end of our summer series and my sabbatical. I will be back preaching again soon, and I cannot wait to be back together with you. But I'm really excited to announce our last guest speaker for the summer, and his name is Dakota Adair. Dakota and his wife, Maggie, were raised in Hiram, Georgia, where they attended Westridge Church. Dakota surrendered to ministry in college, then married his wife, Maggie, and they moved to Fort Worth, Texas in 2016 to attend seminary. During their time in Texas, Maggie and Dakota served in several ministries, including students, groups, and young adults. Then they moved back to Westridge Church in 2020, where Dakota was on staff as a church planting resident. That's when I met him and began to hear about his heart to move back to Texas to plant a church in the Hill Country area. Now, naturally, I was very excited about a new church plant in my home state and immediately fell in love with his vision for a new church. Then they moved back to Texas last year and are doing a church planting residency as they prepare to launch their new church called Heirloom Church next year. We are supporting them and their new church plant and are so excited to see what God has in store for them. Please join me in welcoming Pastor Dakota Adair to the stage. Come on, everybody. How are you doing, Revolution? Man, so humbled and honored to be here with you today. I uh, just wanna say hello to our Jasper campus and online campuses. Um, I'm just humbled and honored. Uh, so thankful for your support and, um, and really encouragement and prayers and really fueling our mission in Texas. And I'm just so thankful for churches like yours that has just a kingdom perspective that has a heart for seeing the gospel advance so every man, woman, and child will know Jesus and be able to follow him. Uh, and you're playing a crucial role in what we are doing. Um, as Pastor Jason shared, me and my wife um, are... Uh, we moved to Texas about a, almost a year ago, year ago to begin this work, and we're so excited to see what God does. And um, we're just blown away by his faithfulness and, and the people that he's put in our lives to really support us and love us and care for us in this season. I'm thankful for Pastor Jason. I just wanna say that. Um, he is a mentor of mine that's just been so helpful, um, just so accessible. Um, we share a few things in common. Uh, we love Jesus. That's obvious. Uh, we love Cajun food, Cajun cuisine. Um, being from Baton Rouge, uh, I love me some uh, Cajun food and so does he. And lastly, our love for Texas. Can I get an amen? Uh, if you tasted the brisket, had some Tex-Mex, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we have, a, he was so excited and uh, so I am, so am I for us to be planning in Texas. And you'd be surprised, you know, everything's bigger than Texas. That's so true. But one of the biggest needs is just the need for the gospel in Texas. God is sending the world to Texas in my neighborhood right now, we have like about 50 houses being built. Um, it just continues to grow. With that, there's such a greater need um, for, for more people to plant churches, to reach people with the gospel. As Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that is so true in a place like Texas, especially central Texas and, and throughout the Austin area. Um, there's just a need for Jesus. And it's so evident in every conversation I have, every person I meet or talk to, um, that there just needs to be more workers for the harvest, more people um, reaching those with the gospel. And so what you guys are able to do is fuel our mission to make that happen, um, to make a difference for eternity. And I just wanna personally thank you. Your generosity is making a difference for the kingdom. 
you are making a difference. I'm thankful for your pastor and his heart for the kingdom. And, and you're just, it's, it's, it should be so encouraging to know as a church family, you're making a difference in Kyle, Texas and beyond. Uh, before we begin this morning, I would love, to, for love for us to pray, both for your hearts and mine, if you would join me. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for, um, Lord, that we get to approach you and come to you. As scripture says, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, God. And, the, and just to know that we have a heavenly father that cares deeply for us. You are vast, you are all powerful, all sovereign, yet you are approachable as a friend and a heavenly father that loves us and cares deeply for us. God, I pray for the hearts in this room. God, we'll have open, open ears, open hearts, God, that we'll be able to be receptive to your message, what you're, how you're speaking to us, where we are in our lives, God. And for me, God, may I be the medium and not the message. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning, I wanted to talk about um, the power of, that lies within rejecting and accepting an invitation. Uh, we have all types of uh, invitations that come our way, all different shapes and sizes. Uh, we have more informal invitations, right? Hey, you wanna come to the movies with us? We'd love for you to join us. Uh, we have the more formal invitations where we we get something in the mail and cardstock and calligraphy's all over it. It's really pretty. And it says, hey, something important's about to happen. Um, regardless of the type of invitation we receive, what we know is to be true is that invitations have the potential to radically change and transform our lives. I want you to think about it in your own life. That double date you probably went on and now you've been married to that person for decades. I think about the time you maybe were invited golfing or hunting and now you're cursed because you can't give it up? Or maybe uh, you went to coffee with someone and now you have a lifelong friend and your life has been changed by their influence in your life. Or maybe you were invited to Revolution Church where you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you accepted that invitation, you said yes to Jesus and now your life looks radically different and, and now you are, you're a part of a church family where you have people that are there in your corner caring for you, loving you, supporting you. And you just can't believe that you are where you are today because of Jesus, which really led from just accepting an invitation. Let me tell you about an invitation in my life. As I was thinking about invitations, um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend who invited me to join him uh, to go to these people's house called the Reagans. And there was all these people from high school there. Um, I didn't really know what was going on. There were these Christian people. I thought it was kind of strange. Why was everybody at their house? And so I decided to accept the invitation, say, hey, buddy, I'll, I'll come with you. And so I joined him. I walked into their house. I'm meeting everybody. And I'm just captivated by this girl named Maggie. She has blue eyes. I, I was loved at first sight. Um, and fast forward, I married that girl uh, years later. We've been married seven years now. We're, we're expecting our second child this September. And... And we're growing a church and a family. We like to do big and hard things all at once. And um, I just look back at that simple invitation that just radically changed my life. So thankful for accepting that invitation. Throughout scripture, there's so many um, instances where people through scripture recognize and respond to God's invitation. And we see that in so many different instances for Moses leading the Israelites to freedom, uh, from Noah, uh, building the ark, to Peter, one of my favorite moments where he drops his nets. He drops everything and follows Jesus, which is just a really beautiful moment. And, 
And what we see is when people accept God's invitation, their lives look radically different. Like it, it is far beyond anything they could think or imagine when they decide to respond to God and whatever he has for their lives. The opposite is also true. We see people who, who, who recognize the invitation, they reject it. And there's so many cautionary trails, tales where this happens. You see the, the rich young ruler who, who, who could not seem to let go of his worldly possessions. His heart was too attached to the things of this world and he wasn't able to, to follow Jesus and experience the life that he offered. Or the parable that we're gonna read today of, of people having the opportunity to be part of the kingdom of God, but they were unwilling and gave really lame excuses. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke 14. That's where we're gonna be today. We have been, this summer, walking through parables which are these just life-changing truths that Jesus taught. Um, and I like to think of parables as earthly stories with heavenly, heavenly meaning to them. And the one we're reading today is the, the parable of the great banquet. Uh, before we begin, I, I want to just read it together. Something about reading it and it, talking about it is just really helpful for us as we kind of process and digest the truth. But we're gonna be, if you go to verse 15 in your Bible, and there'll be scripture on the screen. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he told him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell, servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field, must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I got married, therefore I'm unable to come. And so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. There is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. What we see here in Luke 14 is to kind of set the context for you, to give you the setting, is that Jesus is at the house of a prominent Pharisee. Um, if we know through scripture, uh, Jesus and the Pharisees didn't really get along. There was a very contentious relationship. And so they invited Jesus not to show him just good old Southern hospitality. Uh, they invited him to set him up catch him in sin because they invite a man with dropsy, which is a condition which your, your body swells with fluid. And they were hoping to expose him for sin by healing on the Sabbath. But what Jesus does, which is brilliant, he both heals the man on the Sabbath as well as this. He points out their hypocrisy, teaches them about kingdom humility and hospitality. And what is interesting is, is, is this happens is he often has these moments, Jesus does, where he just drops the mic. He says something really profound and Every time they try to expose him, they, they always seem to fail because he always has these wonderful uh, responses. 
But in this, we gotta see is the tension here. If, if you read the text, there's like this abrupt moment where this man kind of makes this comment. Blessed is the one who eat bread in the kingdom of God. I like to think of kind of him saying, blessed are those who eat in the kingdom of God. Kind of this, uh, this kind of, uh, we don't know if it's, he's saying it cynically or skeptically. We aren't sure of his intentions. I, I happen to think that it was probably said with a sense of arrogance or more of a smug kind of uh, disposition that he probably had because in verse 15, it, it's what prompts Jesus uh, to speak in this parable. Now, what's really important here is that regardless of his intentions, what he's doing is he's referencing the messianic kingdom, the messianic banquet. And this messianic banquet was this time where all of God's people would sit together and dine together, enjoyed food together. It was this beautiful description of explaining what the kingdom of God is like, where they're around the table eating. There's time for joy and celebration. I imagine there's unlimited amounts of Chick-fil-A sandwiches and sweet tea. I mean, can I get an amen? And so we see here in this, in this uh, reference is that they would have understood exactly um, what this man was referring to. Jesus would have understood this. But they had the false notion, which is what makes this parable really interesting. They thought that only Jews would be at this banquet. Only those who were acceptable would be at this banquet. And those with Jesus thought that they would be there as well. So it was this notion of, well, blessed are us who eat at the kingdom of God, eat bread in the kingdom of God. Jesus uses this moment to capitalize and explain to them, hey, at the, at the great banquet, at God's table, those who are gonna be sitting there are gonna be those that you least expect. And that's where the parable he launches into, starting in verse 16. I wanna read this. A man was given a large banquet, he says, and many were invited. At the time of the banquet, he, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. You see, today we have so many different ways in which we invite people to things. Like we got these apps, we got our website, we got Facebook. Uh, it can be quite confusing. It's supposed to make things convenient. It seems more complicated. In this time, what we see, in Jesus' time, it was really very simple. There was two invitations given. The first one was letting people know, hey, we're having a banquet. We'd love for you to come. And people, that was like a place of just great privilege and honor to be invited to this great banquet. It was usually uh, hosted by someone that's very wealthy, that has influence. And so people would have been glad to come. Hey, count me in. I'll be there. And then the second invitation will be sent out, letting them know that supper is ready. It's time to eat. And so we'll see this happen as, as people would hear that the supper's ready. They're gonna put their Sunday best on and they're gonna get ready to go. But that's not what happens in this parable. Actually, the opposite happens. We read that when the servants came for the second invitation, they all made excuses on why they can't go. Like, food was ready, it was time to eat. The banquet was was put on and everything was, the table was set, but yet they had excuses in which why they can't go. Now, for us, we have many different excuses today to not show up to something, right? We blame it on a kid, the kid's sick, right? Uh, we just don't feel good or we give this like ambiguous response, like um, something came up, you know, last minute, uh, not to hurt someone's feelings. Um, but I, I don't think you would have excuses as, as worse and as feeble and flimsy as the people in this parable. Let's look at the first uh, excuse that's given. I bought a piece of property and I have to go look at it, so I cannot come. Huh, listen, in today's real estate, we know something. You're gonna check out that piece of property before you buy it, right? For, for whatever reason, he purchased the property and didn't even investigate it. Like, who does that? That's kind of ridiculous, right? But also this, I think he can go to the banquet 
while also checking on the property, right? He doesn't have to just miss out on everything. Kind of foolish of him. Or maybe this one, second one says, I have to be excused because I bought five yokes of oxen and go test them out. Like what? Ridiculous. You see, one thing that's really important about this detail of if they purchased the oxen, you see that oxen were very pivotal in agrarian society where people relied heavily on land. Farmers used oxen for everything. It was, it was really, they were dependent on these animals for their livelihood. And so for them to, for them to purchase five oxen and not to investigate and check them out, like who does that? Like you would want to inspect them. And also this, like, listen, man, are they gonna die this afternoon? You can't wait and enjoy the banquet? Come on. Or the third one, which somewhat sounds reasonable. Well, I got married and I cannot come. As men, some of us get this, right? But listen, like you didn't know the wedding date? Like you didn't know when you were getting married? Why'd you accept the first invitation? Did you not know when you were getting married? Some of us might get that, right? But he, 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 it doesn't, he rejects the invitation and he doesn't say he can't make it. But even this right here, uh, if he gets the dates confused and he can't make it because of the banquet, because he got married, like I'm pretty sure, friends, I think that wife would love to go to the banquet. I, I think that would be a wonderful time to, for him to bring his, wide, his bride. But what you see here in this parable is all these excuses are ridiculous and pretty ironic if you read them and you explore just kind of what is being said. And so what does the, the master do, the host of this banquet do? He, does he postpone it and say, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry that they were so inconvenienced. We'll do it another day. We'll chose another time. No, that's not what happens. What's really important here is he actually gets angry. He's livid. He tells the servants this. Banquet's still on, but this is who I want you to invite. Go out quickly, go into the streets, find the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the lost, the last, the least, and invite them to my table. And the servant said, well, we've done that and there's still room. This is all right, we'll do this. Go on the highways and the, and the byways, go outside the city, go to the Gentiles, go to the outcasts, go to those you would never consider inviting to this banquet. I want them at my table. It says, compel them to come into my house. Make them come into my house for I say that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, there's really three points I wanna pull out of this parable together. The first one is, is that there here in this parable is an invitation to accept. You see, throughout history, God the Father had given a series of invitations throughout the Old Testament and the prophets. From Jeremiah to Isaiah, they stood on the stage of human history declaring that there was a banquet being prepared. There was a kingdom being established. The word is out and you are invited. But it was always in future tense. It was something that they would eagerly anticipate. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, everything changes. See, you see here in, uh, in Luke 4, many of us are familiar with this instance, is he goes to the synagogue, Jesus does, as he had always done, and he's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And when Jesus handed this scroll, this is what he reads in Isaiah 61, verses one through two. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set a liberty 
Just at liberty set those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what's really important about this is that this would have been very familiar. They would have knew or understood what he was reading. Everyone would have understood in the room with him what this text was talking about. And they would have heard it over and over again. But Jesus does something very different. He sits down and this is what he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled. They would have been in shock because they, they'd have known what he has said. And, and we see here is that they'd eagerly anticipated for so long, but Jesus is saying, no, it's now. The Messiah has come. The kingdom is in your midst. Don't miss it. I'm here. But what happens? How do they receive Jesus? They rejected him, his own people. The Messiah was right in front of them, right in front of them, and they missed him. And those that should have known, the Pharisees and religious leaders were too obsessed and distracted by their traditions and their religious authority. They missed out on seeing that the Messiah, the eagerly awaited Messiah was right in front of them. And so even though they, they received an invitation in advance, even though they would have knew, known about this, they began to make excuses. They missed out when it was right in front of them, the opportunity was for them to enter the kingdom of God. What a, what a grand moment that would have been. And we read this and we, 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 it aches in our hearts because we see that they, they, didn't, they didn't see it. They didn't see that who Jesus truly was. He was establishing, he came to establish an eternal kingdom. And because of that, because of their refusal, because of their unwillingness to see Jesus for who he is and accept him as king, missed out, they were, they were unworthy to enter the kingdom of God, which is really bad news for them and good news for us. You see, the servant says, go throughout the city, go to the streets, the lanes, the city, bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And what's interesting about this is we gotta see that the host is the father, the servant to tell everyone that the meal is ready is Jesus. And so he says, you know what? We're gonna extend the invitation. The banquet isn't off. We're gonna have a good time. Supper's on the table. Invite those you would at least expect to the table. Invite the poor. He says, invite the, the blind, invite the lame, invite those who can't even bring themselves to the table. Those are the ones that we want at my table. And I love this. The, the, the house is full. And so he says, you know what? Continue to go out beyond the city walls. Go to those you would at least expect and let them know they are now invited. Those you would, you would least welcome. Um, I've been to many uh, football games, uh, professional football games. Go Falcons, rise up. I have stomached a few cowboy games uh, in my lifetime. But what's funny is as I look back on all my wonderful memories watching football and professional football games, I don't think I've ever paid for a ticket. Like, I don't think I've ever paid a ticket. The only reason I've been able to go is because someone else refused to which is probably most of our case, right? And what we see in this parable is the same thing. It's because people refused Jesus, because people weren't willing to, to see that he was the, the promised Messiah, it doesn't mean that the game is off or the banquet is canceled. It means that the invitation will still go out. And those you least expect to be part of the kingdom of God, are those that are now invited. And this is what is so encouraging. What I love about this is you see the heart of the Father is that God is inviting each one of us 
to his table. The house is full and, the, and there's still more room. There's still more room for people. And I think that's what's so beautiful about here is continue to invite people, continue to bring people to the Father's table. You see, don't go, he doesn't, he doesn't say go after the self-righteous, maybe the, the virtuous or the noble or those who are self-assured. He says, go after those who are hungry. And this is what I love about the, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not for those who are worthy, but those who are hungry, those who have an appetite for the Lord, those who see their need for Jesus, those who reach the end of themselves and realize that the way they're doing life, the way things are working out for them, isn't doing it, isn't fixing the void in their souls, isn't maybe answering the questions they have. These are the people that maybe feel unworthy to even show up. I don't know if you've ever been to that place before where you're in a place where you're like, man, I've never, I've never maybe felt worthy enough to ever um, go to church or even this God you talk about that loves me. I've heard million, millions of times how he's our savior and he loves you, but he can never love me. He can never love the things that I've done, the things of my past, the, the mistakes that I've made, even the, the situation that I'm now in, the way I've treated people, the way that I made mistakes in my life. And, and I could go on and on and give you a list of reasons why I can never make the guest list. But the beautiful thing about here, as we see, is that your brokenness is a very mechanism that brings you to the Lord's table. It is your need for God that is so beautiful, is when you realize that need. We're all, we all need him. We're never worthy enough to go to the Lord's table, to never be part of the kingdom of God. But it's when we reach the end of ourselves, we see the beauty here is that we are welcome, that we have an invitation, that God is saying there's room for one more. I love uh, this promise that Jesus makes here in John 6, 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. You can give me every single reason, conjure up every reason why you're not welcome to come to God. You may list them out, be descriptive, give me a story and, and, and try to argue with me. But Jesus says he will never cast you out if you come to him. Isn't that good this morning? That we have a God that's so gracious, we see his heart and his mercy on full display in this parable here. He is inviting each of us to be part of his kingdom. And the beautiful thing is when we do that, we reap the rewards. J.C. Riles, I love this quote, he says, there is greater willingness on God's part to save sinners than there is on the part of sinners to be saved. With that, there's a beautiful invitation to accept. There's also a warning to acknowledge. We see at the end is those who rejected the invitation, those who made excuses, those who refused to come to the Lord's table. It's interesting that it says here that none of these men who were invited would taste my supper. God offers each of us an invitation. I hope you see that's very clear this morning. Um, I don't know how many times you've been to church You've been around Christians or maybe heard about Jesus, but God is right now in real time inviting you to be part of what he's doing. But with that, there's great reward and there's also great costs of what you're leaving on the table, of what you're missing out on if you do not accept that invitation. What's interesting in the parable is it changes. It's no longer this um, anonymous person, this master, this host, this king that's hosting this banquet. Jesus says here, he changes it. He says, this is now his banquet. This is, he's now inviting everyone and, 
And those who miss out on his banquet are those that miss out on eternity with him. None of those men who are invited shall taste, what do you say, my supper. It's a personal invitation that Jesus is giving to each one of us. And I urge you today, do not refuse it. I don't know where you are in your story. We all have complicated pasts when it comes to church hurt. Met so many people who are hurt by Jesus. So many people are hurt by, by the people that follow Jesus. So many people that have these misconceptions of who Jesus is or have these misconceptions of what the church is supposed to be and, and, and trying to clarify that and trying to work through some of those things that maybe are barriers for people ever coming to the throne of grace. I don't know why you're here. Maybe, maybe you came here because you were pressured into coming. Maybe one of your spouse, your spouse invited you to, to be here or maybe your family told you to come or for whatever reason, you maybe saw the love that was on display yesterday and you say, you know what, I'm gonna come to check this place out. I want you to, to encourage you and implore you with this, that, that God is, is extending an invitation to you. He's inviting you to his table. He's letting you know there's room for one more. And I'm sorry for whatever you've faced or whatever you've gone through, but, but may I reintroduce Jesus to you. Maybe I show you the beauty of who Jesus is, a one of compassion, a one that will bring you contentment and joy. And while the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy in your life, and rob you of all goodness that God has for you, may you see that he offers life and he offers it in abundance. This is the invitation we offer to people and it's a free gift. It's, an, it's, a, it's a gift that he extends to each and every one to respond to, but there's also with that a great warning that if you reject this invitation, there's great consequences. Because if you reject him now, the life after, he'll reject you. So may you respond to the gospel. May you respond to good news of Jesus. It's good news. Why would we ever reject it? It's good stuff. I'm not, I'm not a car salesman. I'm a satisfied customer. I've tasted, this, I've tasted God's table. I've tasted the, the freedom that's found in him. And I can tell you, and I can assure you that it is good. Lastly, this is there's a warning to, or there's an invitation to accept. There's a warning to acknowledge. And lastly, there's a, kingdom to advance. One of the things we see in this parable that each of us can relate to is how the people prioritize second things over first things in their lives. There was nothing wrong with buying a field. There was nothing wrong with getting married or, or buying some oxen. But it becomes a problem whenever we prioritize things over our devotion and affection and commitment to Jesus. When we take the things of this world, these temporal things that do not last and make them a priority over the most important things that do last, things that are eternal. And so we may say with our mouths and give us lip service that, yeah, we're devoted to God, but how does that show in our time? And what we give our actions and our devotion, our time to, where does that reflect your devotion to God, your, your commitment to Jesus, things that truly matter in this world? Because we all, if, if I'm just being honest, like all of us, including me, we all have these things that are pulling at us constantly, so many different distractions, so many different priorities. Even in this parable, you see there's people that, are, that have similar um, challenges that we have, just career success, um, financial security. We have our maybe relationships in our lives, things that are constantly pulling at us along with the distractions of social media, uh, things that our phone constantly buzzing and beeping, um, we have the news that's constantly running, telling us that everything is urgent, everything that we need to respond immediately, right? It can be overwhelming. It can really flood 
our minds and our hearts with just so many different distractions in this world. And the sad thing is we'll look back and we would have given our lives to things that don't truly matter. We would have focused on things that play no pivotal role in the life after this one. We'll be cheated out. We'll be robbed of the life that God offers us to be part of what he's doing. God is inviting each of us to play a part in that, to be part of what he's doing, calling us to live for the purposes for our lives that he has for us. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we prioritize our relationship to Jesus, like what we will find is true purpose, true fulfillment, and true joy that surpasses everything else that we experience in this life. True contentment in this world if we seek first his kingdom. As I'm saying that, maybe in your mind you can think for a moment of, of maybe something that's really pulling at you today. Something that in your life that is maybe distracting you from eternal things. But also see in this parable is this, alongside this point, is that there's too much at stake in this world for us to be distracted. There's too much work to be done for us to be in the weeds of everything else, to be victim to the urgent. When what we see most important is that people are dying each day and each moment without the gospel. Because we see here is what's really important is he says, go out to the highways, the host says, edges, compel people to come so that my house may be filled. I love this because it, it really re reflects the, the great commission to advance the kingdom. That's what we're all doing. And I think something that I just get so frustrated with is, is, is for people to believe the lie that they're not called. You are called. You are all missionaries. Every single one of you. There's no superstar Christian. You are all playing a part. This is the body of Christ. And each of you have gifting and value. God has placed you somewhere for eternal influence. God has used your background. God has used your pain. God has used your personality, your sense of humor, the color of your skin, your hair, whatever it may be. God uses all those things intentionally for his purposes and his glory. Don't miss out on that. Don't fall short of, 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 of what God has for your life, the potential God has for your life. I believe in a lie that you are not called. We are all called to the Great Commission. We are all called to be a part of God's grand redemptive story to draw people to himself because God's heart, God's will is not for people to perish, but people to have eternal life in his son, Jesus. And you play a pivotal role in that. And I wanna charge you with it, that where God's placed you, where you work, who's that person that you work with? that you can have an influence on, the person that's repulsive, the person that gets on your nerves, the least person you invite to lunch and invite them to the Lord's table. Where you live, who are the neighbors you have? Maybe who is the family member, the cousin, the crazy uncle, that you can love and show them the kindness and, and, and teach them and show them the, the message of Jesus through your life or where you play and what you do outside of those times and work and life, what is the things you do? Where has God uniquely placed you to make a difference and push back darkness? Listen, you were called, friends. We're all called to invite people to the Lord's table. I love in this verse, the whole parable, this beautiful part, and your translation may have it. Um, the one we read didn't, but it says this right here. It says, compel them. 
Some say make them, and this does not mean we argue and drag people into heaven. That doesn't work. You got a Facebook. It hasn't been very effective, has it? What I love about this is we compel people because people that we invite beyond the borders, going to people that we least expect to invite, those are the people that would need to be persuaded and convinced that they're welcomed by God. They would think it's a joke. They would think their lives are so messed up and they gotta clean themselves up. They gotta do something, they gotta fix, they gotta, whatever it may be, they, there's so much opposition probably in their mind, so many barriers for them ever coming to Jesus because they don't feel like they're good enough. And you tell them God wants a relationship with you and they laugh because they would never believe that God would want them. They would never believe that God welcomes them because maybe in their lives, all they've done has been, been given the message that they're not worthy that they're not good enough, that God doesn't care for them, and they have no value. And what we do is we come alongside them and we compel them. We let them know that there's always room for one more. We come to them with, and, and remind them of who they are in God's eyes, regardless of their status, of their background, or whatever they've been through in the past, and we invite them to be part of something that will radically change our lives. The gospel is good news. If it's good news, we need to act like it. We need to show people that, hey, this is good stuff. Because each of one of us, those that are convinced, those that are saints, we remember what it was like before. As I preach this message this morning, I'm just, I think, the fact that I'm teaching the Bible, it's so funny, it's ironic. I almost feel embarrassed because I know who I once was. I know where I came from. I don't feel worthy because I, I know where I was and lost. I was in darkness and the fact that, that Christ would pull me out of, of Satan's hands and that I would have experienced the life that I have and, and know God the way I do, it's just, I just, I completely feel humbled overwhelmed that I was once, I was, you know, I was once the kid in a church like this, listening, and eventually I got it. Constantly be invited, invited, until I understood the invitation was for me, and I accepted that invitation. I look back, and I'm just amazed at God's faithfulness. That's what we sung this morning, of God's faithfulness in our lives. And for me, I think when I preach and when we go out in the world, as I'm trying to plant a church, which isn't selling ice cream, is to, is to be reminded of where I once was. To be reminded of the reality that I'm adopted into the family of God. What is that for you? How does that stir your affections for Jesus? That you know God, what a miracle it is to know the gospel, to worship this morning, to realize what, what God has done in our lives because we simply accepted an invitation. What is God saying to you this morning? Let us pray. God, there are some people here this morning, Lord, I, I just pray over their hearts that maybe they're just struggling with indifference. I talked this morning about Jesus. I compel them, God. You compel them by your spirit and they don't listen. Just another morning and another message. But God, may you open their hearts, open their eyes, may they see you. 
May they see your hand extended to them, invited them to experience life beyond what they ever could experience, knowing the security that's found in you. If that's you this morning, what do you do? If I was having coffee with you, I'd tell you this. You gotta realize there's a problem. You gotta realize there's sin. The self is the problem, it can't be the solution. And you come to God in prayer, not a business meeting, but a heavenly father that loves you and adores you. And you come to God and you say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. This morning, maybe you need to say that. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm messy. I'm broken. And I realize that you sent Jesus to save me of my sins, to to redeem my life. And so God, today I surrender my life to you I surrender my priorities. I surrender all things that I thought was once important, and I give that to you. This is important. You say, God, I wanna walk with you. I'm in relationship with you. And you simply pray amen. You prayed that this morning. I'd love for you to raise your hand. We have people here to hand you a Bible and talk to you, both during service and after. For everyone else in the room, maybe this morning is you're thinking about the idea of an invitation. You've been given a gift, a faith, like an heirloom that's priceless and precious. And it's not for you to hoard. It's not for you to keep. It's for you to give to someone else. Who's that person that you can invite? Maybe to church a small group, maybe to invite into your life, to know and, and follow Jesus. Who's that person that God's put on your heart right now? Who's the family member? Who's the person at work? Who's the person that if it's not for you, if you don't do something, they may never know Jesus. How can God use you where he's placed you? Because he's called you. God, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your grace. May we not move beyond the gospel. That we're all sinners that know it. And we are just blown away by your goodness and your grace and your mercy that you display in our lives through sending your son to die for our sins and to give us a new life that we get to walk out in a world that's not our own. We wait for your coming, for your return where you'll make all sad things untrue. But until this moment, God, may you use us in the, in the already and not yet. May you use us in this space, in this particular moment in time to make a difference in our families' lives, to make a difference where we live, work, and play for your kingdom and your glory. And we all work together as a church family to reach this community to reach places like Kyle, Texas, and Scotland and beyond for your glory. Prayer of the song, in Jesus' name, amen.